Today's interview is with Phoebe Kuhn, and it is a fabulous chat about all things creativity, intuition, and being your authentic self. Now, that's bandied around a lot, but this is a really deep dive into like what it actually means to be showing up as your authentic self. If this is your first time checking out the show, I invite you to subscribe and go and check out some of the amazing guests we have in the back catalogue. And there's a few incredible guests coming up. For the show notes and links, go to carlynimmo.com. And now, may I introduce to you the incredible Phoebe Kuhn. Creativity, self-expression, and feelings. Creativity, self-expression, and feelings. Make some noise, 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 I bring my clients something I'm referring to now as the art of transformation by activating their creative field of play. Cool. Sounds fun. <laughs> sure and can be. Yeah, I bet it can. You know, um, the reason that we connected was after I saw a post that you did in a Facebook group we're both part of called Like-Minded Bitches Drinking Wine, um, which is a funny name for a Facebook group if no one has ever heard of it. It's basically like a big group for women in business, really. Um, and yeah, it's in, it's a huge group and it's definitely worth checking out if you're not already in there. Um, but Phoebe had written this post and energetically, it was just like a punch in the face. <laughs> there was this beautiful picture of you, almost like Frida-esque. Um, I just loved it. It was It's a stunning photo. And then a, a reintroduction of who you are and the work that you're doing in the world. And it just had such a powerful energy to it. You know, it just felt like, um, yeah, like an energetic, nice punch to the face, not like, you know, being smacked in the face rudely or anything like that. It was just like, a, this is who I am and this is how I'm showing up in the world. And, you know, this is where I'm heading. And there was such an amazing response which is unusual for that kind of post, you know, for someone who's in there going, hey, this is me and this is what I do. Um, they just kind of disappear in the in the craziness or, and the busyness of that group. But people really connected to you on that. And so I'd love to explore, um, you know, where, where you're – okay, so I'm kind of in two minds, whether we go back and go cover – okay, we'll go back and cover what brought you to this – point. Um, so do you want to talk a bit about your history, where you come from and what's led you to get here? Totally. Thank you. Uh, what an incredible introduction. <laughs> <laughs> an energetic punch to the face. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> so I guess it feels like it's been kind of a nine-year sort of journey, which is interesting because numerog numerologically speaking, um, we, we move in nine-year cycles. So essentially over the last nine years, I feel like I've kind of come full circle where I had a really strong epiphany in the middle of 2010. Uh, I woke up and 
realized that the path that I was heading down, which was studying law, was not the path for me. And as a result of that, I realized that I was being very pulled into the world of creativity and specifically storytelling and filmmaking and writing. So I changed course and really immersed myself in the world of film and and in the world of photography and creativity and artistry, full-fledged. Then when I finished my degree, I had this like huge creative dilemma and really went through this period of like tortured artist of what am I going to do now? How am I going to make it in the world? And that really got to me and any kind of doubt that I had was tested. So the world was reflecting back to me, you know, but do you really believe that you can do this and how committed are you to this? And so I caved and I ended up working at a bank. It was like the total 180 opposite, which is hilarious. Then after I think it was about four or five months of working at a bank uh, and I was feeling like the destruction of my soul and the total disconnection from myself and that that darkness that we often talk about, right, and really that comes from that self-disconnection, I went back into doing photography and writing and just kind of exploring projects and really it was like I feel like I've spent a lot of those years sort of sleepwalking, gathering little pieces and not understanding exactly how everything was coming together. So I spent quite a few years of my career working in marketing and some of that being creative marketing, but some of it being more project management, but always trying to figure out how I could bring this this love that I had for storytelling and for journalism into a job. I had an awareness that what I wanted to do didn't exist yet. And that scared me. And so I kind of naturally was pulled towards entrepreneurship and very pulled towards startups and disruption and and really getting into this energy of of what that world was about. So I kind of went through a bit of a tech startup phase and I was really, I felt a really strong connection to that energy, but I felt really disconnected from the technical component. I was like, I'm a creative, I'm not a technical person, but I love this startup energy. A lot of people who knew me back then when I was going through that phase, like, you know, think of me as this massive startup person, which is hilarious. Then I ended up working in advertising and I kind of felt like I got a bit bit closer then because there was sort of more creativity fused in. And then from advertising, I sort of had this, what I refer to as the Jim Carrey moment where I felt like I had kind of gotten to the top of my own mountain where I was working at the best advertising agency in the world. And I thought, what can possibly come after this in terms of career? Like there's nowhere else that I can really go from here. This is it. And it still feels so empty you know, like this is not right. And so I kind of, a few months after that realization, my spiritual awakening started to occur. And I then started being pulled into the world of personal development and really pulled into spirituality. I then became a a coach of sorts. I don't really like using the word coach. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I I call myself a guide a lot of the time. But then I, I throw coach in there because it's kind of like the digestible version. Like, you know, it's like coach slash guide because it's um, I'm not I don't I don't I'm not like a rah, rah, you know, like let's let's get the strategy right on this game and, you know, all that shit. That's not my style of coaching. Same. So, yeah, so it's more like I, I use the word guide, but I mix it up with coach because people understand what a coach is. They don't necessarily understand what a guide is yet. And I'm yep. not a mentor. I can I can act as a mentor, but it's not really my role, you know? <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, I find it very difficult to describe what it is that I do with people. Yes, um, and so it can be I. different. 
yeah, from person to person as well. Yeah. It's very much spiritual teacher activator, kind of like you're checking people's blind spots. You're a bit of a seer at times. Yes, 100%. Like uh, almost like you can see what's missing in somebody's journey and kind of like, I don't know, yeah. Reflect it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Be a a speaker and a teller of truth. Yes, totally. Don't connect with the like personal (laughs) trainer coach type of energy. No, no, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 100%. So I was I was doing that and I kind of throughout this whole nine year process, I think it's interesting that the biggest challenge that I had was every time I sort of pivoted slightly from okay, now I'm a project manager to now I'm a startup trying to build a startup to now I'm an advertising to I'm a photographer to I'm a writer to I'm a coach. I kept trying to box myself into something that I thought people could understand and comprehend. And that was the only thing that I really had that I didn't get. You know, um, and then I realized somewhat recently within the last month that actually it's okay that I can be all of these things because they're all part of the overall structure and they're all necessary components. And I think that one of the big things that we often in our society struggle with is this idea that we have to box ourselves in, we have to fit into a certain category so that people can digest us. And, and now I feel like the last nine years finally makes sense and everything has come together and nothing actually, you know, is really missing or um, it's not like I've then discovered something. It's more that I realized that it's all one and they're all somehow magically interlinked. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think, I think this is a really great conversation to be having because that that whole like boxing ourselves into something or, you know, having our elevator pitch or, um, you know, yeah, like being able to say what, what who we are and what we do in like a neat little, um, you know, 30-second spiel uh, is difficult when you are a, a naturally a creator, you know. It's like for me, I get that question all the time, what do you do? And it's like, um, so much. <laughs> I'm a voiceover artist. I run a voiceover agency. I'm a podcaster. I'm a speaker. I'm a writer. I run retreats. I do events, you know, and it's like, and people are like, whoa, that's a lot. Like, how do you have time to do all this stuff? And it's like, well, I'm not doing it all at the same time. It's like a little bit here, a little bit there. And for a long time, I'd shamed myself around that. It was like, well, just pick a fucking lane, right? Like pick a box and stick yourself in there so people understand what you do because nobody under- nobody gets it, you know, nobody gets what you do. And it's like, why? Why can't I allow, why can't I just show up in the world as me expressing in my chosen fields of expression and give people the autonomy to figure out for themselves what I can bring to them instead of all this assumption-based stuff. And there was also a piece in there, like listening to your story, we are both very similar in um, like the journey. I mean, I, I didn't actually start as a, uh, studying law. I went straight into media arts from school. Um, but I, I know that pain of like, okay, so I've studied arts. Now what? You know, i got to get a job. And so I went and worked as a photographer and found it, uh, I worked in that industry for a number of years and worked my way up 
but more in a sales-focused way. So I was working in photographic sales but also working as a photographer and got to the kind of peak of that career and was 25 and I was like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? I'm just surrounded by middle-aged men. Um, Is this what I want for the rest of my life? And it was like, no. So now what, you know? And it was like I wanted to use my voice and express myself and I had always wanted to work in radio so I went back and um you know did a little course in radio and started to that that started me on this path of my voice as my expression um but also I had a co-working space so I was very much involved in the startup space and have always been creatively entrepreneurial you know that that is a form of creative expression entrepreneurialism or whatever you know and so i relate to like also being attracted to the energy of that startup the excitement that happens in in those kind of startup incubators and um having spent a lot of time there yeah it is um it can be fuel for a creative don't you think totally totally it's really it's the same type of energy because and I was having this conversation with someone the other day. I feel like to really understand what this is, it's it's creating something from nothing and you create in the space of the dark because the dark is kind of this void where nothing really exists and you're not sort of influenced by any previous shape or form. So it's taking something that could exist either as a vision in your mind, which, you know, you've it's that's from some part of your like consciousness and really making that tangible by materializing it into this physical reality. And to be able to do that requires, requires a creative visionary. And so there are certain people who can access that and really channel that. And, you know, it's not something that can really be taught like, Hey, you know, this is how you're going to disrupt this totally, you know, you're going to, how are you going to disrupt this industry? It's, it's being able to actually trust that you can go into this space where you're not influenced by the outside world and really also as a leader grow into this, this authority where people can see your vision and you can explain it to them and they can trust you and follow you. And that's, you know, that's what Elon Musk has been able to do. That's what Steve Jobs was able to do. And that's what great artists are able to do. It's like I have this vision and I'm going to need support. I'm going to need people to come on the journey with me. And that's also a huge part of it as well. And something that I find really interesting that I've studied and researched quite a bit recently is what is it that makes people want to follow that person on that journey? What is it that helps people get off the ground as artists or as startup founders and and leaders? And I've come to the conclusion that it's, it's two things authenticity and trust and that comes as a result the authenticity piece especially comes as a result of not repressing anything so when you have everything out on the table all of who you are all of your intentions people know that they can trust you and so it's so important for us to own all of the things about ourselves that we feel like we should hide and that's kind of the irony in the whole thing hundred percent. Um, last year I did, a, I did a little program called Find Your Freak and it was really based on that, you know, based on the, uh, it was a, about kind of about self-awareness, um, but also very heavily focused around, uh, getting to know those parts of us that we've repressed. Um, you know, and like 
having an internal people pleaser and an internal critic and the roles that those things play that can be positive but often we're shutting down due to negative, you know, um, yeah, negativity. So, yeah, so I totally I totally relate to that. And on the authenticity piece, you know, the, the two are interlinked, right? Like people don't trust, people can smell inauthenticity, um, but it does require a certain level of self-awareness, curiosity, and um, vulnerability. What else do you think? What else do you think is um, necessary in in order to? Because authenticity. I mean, what does it even mean? Great question. I feel for me that authenticity is the the true nature of who you are. It's really not okay, no, 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 you know what? For me, authenticity is standing. No, you know what? I had it and I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> that happens all the time. Oh my god, I totally had it. <laughs> oh, It'll bounce now. back. I remember now. Yeah. <laughs> I've come to discover that authenticity is really not having anything to prove. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> it totally is, right? Yeah. So something that I look out for now whenever I meet people, this is funny. I've started saying like the first place that I look at when I meet someone new is their shoulder and I look for any chips because that's the, that's the first way that you'll know if you can trust someone. It's like, okay, what are they trying to show? What are they trying to prove? What are they deliberately revealing about themselves to kind of manipulate a particular image? You know, really they have an ulterior motive. They've got some kind of motivation because they're looking for some kind of validation in the world. And people who aren't looking for that validation, they don't have anything to prove. They're so comfortable with who they are. Anything goes, anything flies. They're open, they're transparent. They, they're willing to put it all on the table and out on the line. Yeah, that's so interesting because I'm just thinking about myself and the way that I show up in the world and the way that I have over the years. And I've definitely had that element of needing to prove myself. Um, You know, I think, I mean, we all experience that in some way, shape or form. But also, you know, now I'm in this space of really being connected to my voice, but sometimes being afraid to share it because of the way that it may make others feel. And so that's my current battle isn't necessarily about proving myself um, or proving my worth, but instead there's this piece around like potentially triggering other people to feel shit about themselves, which is not my intention. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of like where what I grapple with at the moment yeah. I can relate to that. Yeah. Sometimes I'll write things and I get a feeling like it might be a bit much. I'm mm. like, oh, this is, you know, like this, there's elements of pushing the boundaries and then there's really pushing the boundaries and you're like, oh, people aren't ready for that yet. <laughs> yeah. And there's also, um, you know, something that I've been playing with the last week specifically is, um, you know, when we like – there's this whole piece around like taking a stance and, you know, and particularly like we've just come out of an election here and when that happens you see those on the left 
very staunch and like, you know, anyone on the right doesn't care about the environment. They only care about the dollars and, you know, and so there's like this, there's this opposition that happens. Like it's you versus me and me versus you and your beliefs are wrong and mine are right. And there's like not a lot of seeking to understand happening between the two. Yeah. And I just had a realization this morning around this because I have been holding myself back or, or like going on this swing, right? Like I've, I've talked a lot on my other podcast, Colosophies About the Swing, where we hop on the swing and sometimes we swing right out to, a, you know, I don't know, like, like a, like right away for some, from something in order to swing back to it and find some equilibrium in the middle. And that's kind of where I've been at this last week or so, where I put out a podcast episode. I, I then saw how it could have been perceived by someone who, um, not that it was directed at, but that I could see how they would take offense by it. And so then I started like questioning myself, questioning like, what am I doing if I'm like, not intentionally, but I'm hurting people. This isn't very cool. And then I've kind of found this equilibrium in the middle where it's like, I can have my truth. I can share it with the world. And it doesn't mean that I ha- I am against something else. If that makes sense. Totally. Yes. No, absolutely. I feel like there is such a strong sense of people being very absolutist and it's an either or mentality, which is just, you know, that in itself is an illusion. Like if you're over here, you can't also be over there. And that's just not true. And by taking, it's not even that you're taking a stance. It's just that you're expressing what you believe to be true for you. And you're really standing in, in what's coming through for you. And by owning that, it's not that, you know, we're creating this like opposition, right? Mm. It doesn't have to come at the expense of the other. Exactly. Exactly. There's really, I see this a lot, people who go, you know, I can't have love or like and money at the same time, you know? Yes. The either or mentality. And when you break that down and you really, because when you have that sort of either or, it actually comes down into a quadrant and you have one without the other, the other without the one, neither or both. And when you go through and you look at what all four possibilities look like, you realize, oh, I'm just, I'm just stuck into one little box right now in my thinking. And you can kind of go into all of the other quadrants and realize, ah, oh, all of these are fine possibilities. Yeah. And I feel like, like, yeah. Okay. So there's, there's another piece here around sometimes we can be really afraid of backflipping, you know, so, mm-hmm. so being, so we're expressing our truth and our truth is always subject to change, right? Like it's what valuable. was true for me when I, when I recorded the particular podcast episode I'm referring to, what was not the same truth that when I'd seen how that could have an impact on someone else, then I f- formed another truth. Mm-hmm. And so our, our, our truth is subject to change as our experiences do and as new pieces of information come to light. And so many people are afraid of speaking their truth because then it, it, um, you know, it locks them into a box or yeah. it, uh, or then they, then they're seen as flaky because they can't stand in their truth or they're seen as constantly being apologetic or, you know, all, all of these different things because their truth is changing. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I feel like it's actually just that I'm discovering more and I'm totally. learning more yep. and I'm growing more, you know. 
Um, and then that also ties back into that piece that where where you started, which is like about the chip on the shoulder. So when when I say something from the place of this is my truth, it doesn't have to be yours. Like you don't have to take this on. When it triggers something in someone else and they have a massive reaction to that, mm. then that is highlighting chips on their own shoulder. Correct. So, I mean, I think there's so much in here and something that I really feel very strongly about sharing with people is that a lot, a lot of people think that their identity has to be fixed. And so with the, you know, the fixation of their identity also comes like this fixed mindset of, you know, well, these are my beliefs and these are my values and that's it. Yeah. This is how I identify myself. Yeah. But the truth is that your, like your identity is not fixed. Your identity is always changing because you are always evolving. Actually, it's really interesting. Um, we are always dying and being reborn in every like millisecond or something. So we're always kind of destructing and coming back together again and don't actually exist continuously on a timeline. So really like our identities always change based on our experiences and based on our level of awareness and our response to certain things and how we take in information. And it is totally okay. In fact, it's more than okay. We should be constantly, you know, questioning ourselves in a really playful and curious manner, not in a destructive manner, but just, you know, is this still, does this still resonate with me? Is this still congruent for my values and how I'm living my life? And do I feel like I'm in alignment? And, you know, is there much dissonance between my internal and my external worlds? And people are afraid to sort of look at that because they have this idea that they don't want to change and be seen as someone who said this and now they're saying something else and what will people think? In contradiction to each other because yeah. then, 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 because then, then that brings back in that trust piece too, right? Like people won't trust me if I'm backflipping all the time. Mm. But people trust authenticity. So if taking in consideration both sides and changing your opinion or your, you know, um, yeah, changing your ideas around a concept is part of your creative process then it's not inauthentic mm. it's actually very authentic exactly so, so then people do still trust you even if you're backflipping as long as you're being true to you well this is the irony and I really think about leadership a lot in this context and I kind of draw parallels between the personal and I guess the more corporate environments or just kind of looking at things on a more macro scale and when let's say you look at someone like Mark Zuckerberg as an example, and you look at when large mistakes are made that affect hundreds of thousands or millions of people, and when leaders are in those positions where they've made a mistake and they become aware of it, they have two choices. They can sweep it under the rug and pretend like nothing's happened for the fear that they'll be found out as either a liar or a fraud or someone who is incompetent. And I think that that is a fear that drives a lot of people in high-powered positions. 100%. And, yeah. and just in day-to-day -day life Exactly. Too. Just sharing an Instagram post, you yeah. know, like that, that is a big, it's a big driving factor for a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. If I come out and tell people that I was wrong, what will people think of me? Will, pe will I lose respect? And so that fear really drives the inaction of, the, like the expression of the authenticity, which is the realization that I was wrong. And that may or it may not affect other people. But if you have the awareness and if you have the realization and you don't do anything about it, you don't say anything about it, then you're already out of integrity. 
and and the irony in the whole thing is that when you do actually express and you stand in in your mistakes and it doesn't have to necessarily be a mistake that's just an example then people actually trust you more because they see that the the courage and your willingness to own that is far more admirable and trustworthy than in you being right all the time. We can't be right all the time. And on the personal level, on the more macro scale, when we think that we are doing something that's right for us in any given moment, you know, whether we're speaking our truth for that particular point in time, whether we're making a decision like, you know, I bought a house or I was in this relationship and we feel bad about, I think a lot of the time we see people do this in the context of relationships as well. People get into relationships and then they stop sharing because they mm. think, oh, you know, if I really share that maybe my partner is being maybe a little bit emotionally abusive or maybe there's some gaslighting going on, I don't want people to think that I'm an idiot yes. for saying. And so people don't share and they yes. don't open up. And that's where things can get really, you know, dangerous because people yeah. are so afraid of. Totally. Yeah. And, and it happens like that happens in all areas of life. I remember mm. um, a couple of years ago. I was having massive cash flow issues and it was stressing me the fuck out in my business, right? Like, um, and I'd been in business at that stage for what, like 12 years and I felt such shame around it. Like I was ashamed because nobody talks about their fucking cash flow issues because it makes them look like they're incompetent at business. So so we've all got these, we've got all these people sharing and it looks like they're kicking goals in life and inside they're dying because of, you know, of, um, of, of, yeah, like their business isn't as successful as they, they think it should be by now. And, but they don't want to bring up that they're, they're only making $500 a year, even though they're working their ass off because of the shame around that. Um, and so I went on a podcast and spoke about my cash flow issues and I spoke to a few friends who were also very successful entrepreneurs about it. And they were like, oh my God, People need to be talking about this stuff because when we're when we're sitting in it alone, we think we're the only one. Correct. And we're not. The truth is that we're so not. <laughs> we think that we're the only one whose husband might be gaslighting us, but we're not going to put any voice to it because we don't want to be seen as a victim, you know, or like as weak because we're staying in this relationship. You know, that that comes back to that compassion like the the seeking to understand peace when we stand here on fastly on one side or here fastly on the other and we don't seek to understand the gray areas which is all of life all the rest of life yeah <laughs> you know like we, we're just we're yeah it makes it means that people as a result of that live in darkness absolutely yeah so a question that, that, that this whole conversation raises in me is, and I'm interested to know your thoughts on it, like how do we, how can we cultivate that kind of relationship with ourselves so that we can show up authentically and not be shaming those parts? Where does that work begin, I guess? Oh, God, I feel like that's such a loaded question. No, it is, isn't it? <laughs> I like to just throw out the loaded ones. <laughs> the journey of, the journey of self-inquiry. <laughs> So I guess it's different for everyone, but yep. like, I guess like, where did it start for you? Okay. So for me, it's been a two and a half, almost three year journey of personal development where one of the earliest principles that I learned was that every single human being has every single human trait. 
And when we try to disown some of those traits, we're really disowning parts of ourselves. And so I learned the Demartini method so that I could own a lot of those traits that I saw in other people that I refused to admit and own in myself, which was a really empowering process. And it works both ways. You know, you can own the traits of the hero and the traits of the villain. It's actually far more powerful to own the traits of the villain sometimes, depending on the scenario. Well, if and we don't, then they come out in passive aggressive ways, you know, like and in in um, unhealthy expressions of those pieces. We can be, I mean, I mean, good, bad, whatever. What does that even mean? We we can be, um, you know, there are positive aspects to the hero and there are positive aspects to the villain if we're willing to look at it. Exactly. Instead of repress it. Well, when we own those darker aspects of ourselves, we're actually letting ourselves off the hook. And that's kind of where we release the shame and the guilt around who we are. So there's a really important and necessary part of that that really takes us, you know, from beating ourselves up to going, actually, I'm a human being and we're all human beings and we're just trying the best with the tools and resources that we have. So that was kind of where I started. But as that journey grew and developed, and there have been so many different tools and modalities from start to now, but I think one of the simpler ways that I work now and the way that I work with my clients and what I teach and really emphasize is the importance of two things. And it's, I really, and that's why I'm saying it's so simple because it, two steps. The first step is listening to your intuition. And the second is following whatever it says. And as long as you are doing those two things, you will always be okay, no matter what. I guarantee it. And life really is as simple as that. Yeah. Which which can be difficult when we, like listening to our intuition can be really difficult when we haven't given it any space at all. Exactly. So so then like how how do we cultivate that? How do we how do we how do we connect to and cultivate our intuition or a relationship with our intuition? So this is hilarious because I feel like this process for me, I often refer to it as like you're starting to work out for the very first time, you're going to the gym and it really is, your intuition is a muscle that needs to be strengthened over time. So a lot of people at the very beginning are like, I don't hear anything though. (laughs) And it's like, well, yeah, because you've never been to the gym before. So you can't just go in and expect to lift a hundred (laughs) kilos. Yeah, or like you know, turn up and um, you know, never having run, and then you know, you you can run a marathon. Exactly, it does you do work up to these things for sure. <laughs> totally, um, I find that a really great place to start is by looking back on your life and acknowledging all of the times where you've made intuitive decisions without necessarily acknowledging or realizing why, and something you know, phenomenal or unexpected and spontaneous has happened as a result of that. And you've never really taken the time to acknowledge yourself or give yourself credit for how you knew something, you know? And it might not even necessarily be that, oh, I, I just knew that this was the right job and so I applied. It might also be that um, you read someone and you knew that they would be a great friend or you knew that you would get along really well or you knew to avoid something, you know? Yes, like, and that I think that is where it's easy to see where your intuition or easier mm. to see where your intuition has been speaking to you in those times where you where you where where something happens and you're like I should have trusted my gut on that. I exactly. knew that person was not, you know, 
mm. not right for me. I knew that, like, I, I, I missed those red flags and those red flags are our intuition, you know? But it's it's often harder for us to go, oh, yeah, so I followed my intuition on that one and it worked because it's really only when we don't follow it that we get the sense of, like, oh, my God, I so did not follow that. Yeah, and that feeling, that, like, disappointing feeling, that's that's what, you know, you're trying to avoid, right? And so imagine if you always followed your intuition all the time, what that would feel like. And if you just constantly always got exactly what you wanted, not necessarily in the way that you thought it was going to roll out, but in terms of outcome, you you got the money that you asked for. You got the type of feeling of friendships and relationships that you asked for. And you really realized how powerful you were at creating your reality. That starts with with listening and actioning and, and continuing to trust that. And this is the thing is that the more you listen and the more you act, the stronger that becomes and the clearer it becomes. But yes, it comes through clearer when you act because it's a trust relationship. And so we're coming back to trust now, but the most real, like the most important relationship that you have is the one you have with yourself. And I think that there's a really common misconception these days where, you know, self-care is really glamorized and it's so popular in magazines, but it's not really understood because self-care is one thing and people go, oh, I love myself and that's fine. That's all well and good. But I'm not talking about the importance of self-care and loving yourself. I'm talking about really trusting your own, you know, yeah, your own inner guidance and inner voice. And when you actually trust yourself that you have the answers, that you know the right thing to do, and that you don't need to, you know, outsource that to someone else, and that you don't need to doubt that, that's when the real magic starts to happen. 100%. And while you were talking, it actually reminded me of, you know, the way that we build a relationship of trust within ourselves is by recognising like we can see, if we can see more easily those times where we didn't listen to our intuition, then we can tune into how that intuition felt. Exactly. Because I feel like some of us experience intuition differently. Some of us it's a real gut feeling. For some of us it's like a, you know, I don't know, like it can feel different for everyone. For me it's just like a a ping, you know, and like yeah. a, it's not it's not like this big duh, duh, duh feeling. It's like just like a little ping, yes or no. Totally. You know? And so it shows up in different in different ways for different people. So like cultivating a relationship with that sense, feel like recognizing how it feels in your body so mm. that you can connect to that. Because what's what happens so often for all like all of us at most times is that we get the sense of intuition and then the mind comes in and the mind goes, but hang on, you know, like remember that time when blah, 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 blah happened and, you know, and this story and that story and all this kind of jazz gets and the self-doubt and this and the fear and this comes in and messes with the intuition and asks us, asks, like our mind asks us to question that. Totally. But if we can cultivate that feeling and recognise it within ourselves, then we're more willing to listen to it when it does come because we know it's our truth rather than like then you know, gut ping mind, gut ping mind. It's like they're often in, um, in opposition with, with yeah. each other. Yeah. And I find that for me, this is something that helped so much in this process of strengthening that muscle was 
being able to separate and differentiate the voice of the mind and the voice of the intuition. And they do have very different voices. But in the beginning, when you are learning how to listen, it's very difficult to distinguish between the two. And so as that kind of got stronger and better, I would start to respond to my brain and be like, no, no, not today. Like not listening to you. You don't have the driver's seat anymore. And, you know, the brain is, is the one that tries to sabotage and tries to logically talk you out of things. Like, well, that doesn't make any sense for now. I'm not going to do this. And it's like, no, no, sassy brain. Like, we're not listening to you. Right. And that sassy brain is like another aspect of ourself. Like mm. speaking of the, you know, like it can't, it, it's not even your truth speaking. It's like these little parts of us, you know, the, the critic, the people pleaser, the, you know, whatever it is, they have these little voices within us that also argue for us, you know? Totally. And and we're not we're not just in a car with sitting next to fear or self-doubt. We're in a car with like 300 or a thousand different personalities of us. Mm. And they they've all got different agendas, you know? They do. Yeah. No wonder we're so fucking confused a lot of the time and not able to connect to our intuition because we have so many different parts of us living within us. And a great thing that I've discovered that I've utilized since, since, you know, really diving into a lot of this work is looking at those voices and those kinds of experiences that come to us in the external world as a test and having the awareness, like, you know, I am really being called to something and I'm honoring that and I'm stepping into that. And, you know, if anyone is listening and they're aware of the hero's journey, then you'll know that as you journey into your destiny and your mission and what you've come here to do, that you will be tested. And that is absolutely necessary in order for you to receive, you know, the the golden chalice or whatever it is that you're finding out on your journey that you're bringing back to the world. So when those voices come up and when people in your world, whether that's in your friendship circle or your family, people are supposed to, to question you and doubt you. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. That means that this is your opportunity to stand up and show how much you believe in what you're saying and how much you believe in yourself. It's your opportunity to stand in your warrior and fight for what it is that you really believe in. You know, it's not people knocking you down, it's their tests. Yeah, and they're, and they're tests, coming back to that word once again, of trust, of the mm-hmm. trust that you've cultivated within yourself. Exactly. How much do you really trust yourself? How much do you really trust what your intuitive feeling is telling you? And, you know, here's another interesting thing is that when people trust themselves fully, other people trust them more as well. And so, you know, I know that especially with men as well, it's like I will trust a man if I know that he trusts himself. And there are people that when you kind of look at them and you're interacting with them and you're just sort of unsure about them and you sometimes it's like, oh, I can't get a read on this person. And it's like, well, they don't really even trust themselves. Like it's so unsure about themselves and who they are that they're just a bit of a, a risk, you know, for anyone. Flight risk and just so unpredictable, tumultuous. Yeah, and that takes me back to um, that fear piece, right? So I had a co-working space um, in 2012 in Byron Bay and it failed um, and it cost me $100,000 and it took me to the very brink of trust within myself and trust of my intuition because I did feel like it was intuitively um, inspired, you know. And then when it didn't work, 
I I really moved into this very um, dark place of uh, desperation because I was so attached to it needing to work to prove my worth as a human being, you know. And and as that whole thing is happening, I'm less and less trusting myself and I'm more and more becoming desperate. And I know that everybody who walked in the door during that phase was totally repulsed by me. <laughs> you know, maybe not like not like repulsed as in like, oh, this person is disgusting or anything like that, but there was an energetic like, I don't want to be around that. Totally. Um, and I see that happen with a lot of people when they get into that business phase, like bringing it into a business sense. It's like when you get to that phase when you're really attached to something needing to work, it has to work, it has to work, it has to work, you know, like um, and it becomes really personal, then then people can smell that desperation. Oh, yeah. The same way they, they and, and, and again, it's coming back to the desperation is created through a lack of trust. So everything really just kind of comes back to that relationship with self and the trust piece. It does. And this is the thing is that um, when we're disconnected from ourselves, because everything starts with us and then the world just mirrors that back to us. But we can't, when we're not connected to ourselves, we can't connect with others. And so then we start to feel really isolated. And then, you know, then the depression and the self-doubt, it just continues. And it's, it, that's how the downward spiral forms. I mean, when you talk about that time in your life, now I can I so relate to that. And I think that there are quite a few people who have been through that or maybe even going through that now. And it took a while for me to figure out exactly what that was and what was going on for me. And I only really came out of that maybe one or two months ago. So I had that period of time for me where I heard a voice that was like, you've got to do this. And I did that and it didn't work. And I was like, hold on a minute. I, I took the massive terrifying action. Why has this not worked? I've, I've, you know, I've quit my job. Build it and they it. will come, right? Yeah. Like everybody's seen Field of Dreams or whatever the fuck that movie <laughs> is. It's like build it and they will come. And then yep. when it doesn't, you're like, well, hang on. Yeah, I took the action, right? Like I listened to my gut. So why is this happening? And I probably spent maybe four months in, in that really dark phase where I did not trust myself anymore. And it took me, it took me about two months to come out of it and really go through this process where I was able to trust myself so deeply again. And, and even more so now than ever before, which is amazing. But that process I've learned since then is it can be, well, it's, you know, it's different for everyone, but it, that's actually something that I've looked up and read as the heroine's journey. So Maureen Murdoch was a student of Joseph Campbell's and in response to the hero's journey and the monomyth, she said, you know, I have been studying and working with patients and clients. She was a psychoanalyst and also very um, influenced heavily by Carl Jung's work. And she said, I think the process is actually different for a lot of women. And everyone that I really work with and come across has sort of, you know, not had this hero's journey, but there's more to it than that. And it seems that what happens after the hero's journey is the heroine's journey, which occurs in the dark. And it's actually the lunar journey. So the, the hero's journey is very much the journey of the sun, the prince, and then the heroine's journey is the descent into darkness. And that is going from the world where we've built up this masculine, egoic thing of status and, and who we think that we are and our identity is fixed on 
our uh, place in the world as having these possessions or having this title. And we then start to actually destroy or lose all of that status and we descend into what is the, the most bare version of ourselves where we're kind of no one and nothing, uh, you know, in the words of Joe Dispenza when he's taking his three meditations. Um, and we realise that who we really are outside of all of those things that we've acquired on our masculine hero's journey is our, our truest form of our soul's expression. And from that point, when we can sort of lift ourselves up from that darkest place, and there are levels, right? Like there are points where you think oh, yeah. it can't possibly get any worse than this, yeah. and then there's a new floor, and you're oh, like, my oh, my God. I know. I I, I always talk about uh, – there's this um, David Attenborough video of um, – oh, I keep saying it wrong – Gosling, is it like a baby goose? And these mm. baby geese start at the top of a cliff I have to. I'll have to find the video, um, but they drop and they basically the eggs are laid up high. They uh, hatch and then they f- go rolling down this cliff, and it's just like, <gasps> oh my god, when is it going to end? And that's what this whole journey felt like to me. It was like, rock bottom. Oh no, here I go, rock bottom. Oh no. You know, and it was just like it just kept on going. Yeah. Oh yeah, that that has to be as low as it gets. Oh no, there's no, a new no. low. There's a new low. Oh totally. yes, and here's another new low. <laughs> but then you get up, and mm. you know, and you're um, I don't know more resilient and more um, no, like so that actually is like my intuition led me to start this space and have it fail. And perhaps that was led by my intuition. Perhaps Absolutely. I needed to go through all that in order to get to this place. Yeah. So perhaps my intuition wasn't wrong at all. It wasn't. I can tell you right now, like, the only reason that we doubt what is happening in our experience is because we fail to see the larger grand picture. We fail to see how the dots are all connected because we can't see the dots in the moment. We can only see them looking back. And a big part of the journey of life is, you know, it's not to go out and find something or to attain something. It's really, it's making the unconscious conscious because we're always on the path. We're always actually living in our highest valleys and carrying out our destiny. We can't not. We're always on the path. It's just that we don't have conscious awareness of what we're doing. And we're being driven largely by our unconscious decisions. We don't know what they are and we don't know why. And because we don't know why, we often feel like we're in the back of the car rather than in the driver's seat. So when we're able to integrate our unconscious and our conscious and really feel a lot more equilibrated and a lot more whole, then you know we can start consciously creating things. And it's only in the, the conscious awareness of, of our decisions and our creation that we start to feel more euphoric in the receiving of our experiences rather than like, why is this happening to me? You realize I'm creating it and I'm doing that very intentionally. So really everything that is happening to you is happening for you. It's just that a lot of the time we fail to see how or why. And some of those things that, you know, and some of the things that happened over that four month period for me, I thought I've lost everything and da, 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 and look at where I am. But what I failed to see was that, I really wanted to rebuild certain relationships with my family and that was forcing me to become closer with them because I had to, I was forced to. 
And it came out in one of the processes that I did with a colleague where he asked me, oh, da 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 And my response was, well, the only thing that I really care about was being close to my mom and rebuilding that relationship. And I was like, whoa, where did that come from? (laughs) So, you know, I I felt like I was such a failure for having to go and move back home, which is such a typical entrepreneur thing, right? Like I ended up totally in the garage of my mom's house after, you know, being on my own for such a long time, being really financially independent in my own life and feeling like such a failure. But that was a necessary component in the journey was rebuilding the relationship with her and showing you know all of my vulnerability showing all of my truth and all of my creative expression and her being my biggest test and so often the people that we run from we run into because it's through those collisions that we are able to actually really own the things that we've been hiding and the things that we find difficult and in that is freedom and in that is truth so true And what, you know, sometimes, okay, when I started the Office Collective, it was because what I really wanted was a community of people who understood me. That's, that was the intention that was behind what I was creating there. And what I ended up with was a community of people who totally got me. But, so I got exactly what I wanted just not in the way that I would have chosen to receive it. And that, like, that happens all of the time. We think we know how to get the thing that we want and so we go about creating these elaborate things in order to get the thing that we want and when it falls apart or when the path, uh, you know, when the path diverts from where we saw it going, we panic but... It's often to deliver us exactly what we want. Yeah. It's up to us to decide the what and the when. It's up to the universe to decide the how, and we surrender to that completely. Mm. So (laughs) this has been a really amazing conversation, and I cannot believe nearly an hour has already passed. But um, if people want to connect with you, okay, before I say that, is there any last passing thoughts you'd love to share or um, any any last, you know, anything remaining in the tank to give <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I would really just sum it up by saying if there is anyone out there that feels like that self-doubt around who they are, uh, one conversation that I had recently with someone was uh, someone who's kind of a newer life coach and she was a bit younger and talking about how she, you know, wants to sort of be perceived and how because she's younger she wants to be respected and I said you know I can totally resonate with that but here's the funny thing is that you are hiding the most important parts of yourself and those are the things that are actually going to call in your people that are going to support you and those are the things that are going to call in the clients that you were supposed to transform and work with and so you know whether or not you are in business whether you're just you know doing your own thing and really figuring out your own unique powers and your own unique magnetism the key to actually creating that tribe, you know, that feeling of belonging and the feeling of people support your vision and they, they understand who you are, those feelings of being understood and supported. To get that, we actually have to own the things that we've been disowning. And, you know, because we think that we want to be more serious and people need to respect us. And so we disown like our playfulness or our silliness. But that's where your magic is. That's where your genius is. And you realize that when you stand in that, 
people respond to you differently. And that's what I did. And that's why that post had such a weird and crazy reaction. It was all the things that I thought I had to hide about myself, my creativity, the fact that if I'm all of these things, does that even make sense? It didn't matter. Because the moment that I stood in all of it and said, I don't care if anyone really gets this or not, I'm just owning it. People were like, whoa, you are, I don't know what this is. Energetically, people understand and they respond to that on a subconscious level. And it's really about the things that you hide are the things that make you the most beautiful. And that would be my closing message for anyone. That is so true. 100 billion percent. Yes. So I feel like we all have these intersections where we think one thing can't go with the other. And this is a really good invitation to get curious with yourself. Where do you think you can't be? You know, so it's like, I thought in order to be taken serious as a like, I don't know, um, spiritual type of guide, I had to be, I couldn't be fun and gross and, you know, inappropriate. I had, I had to look a certain way. So I took my spirituality very seriously and then I ended up taking myself very seriously. But there's also this element to me that is playful and fun and loves to laugh and joke and make fart jokes and shit like that. And I didn't feel like the two could intersect. And then when I do own that, that is where the impact comes. It comes from those intersections of things that you think you can't meld, where this this podcast is uh, an invitation to you to give yourself permission to look at those intersections and see where you can integrate them because life is not that defined. You know, we don't have to be the left or the right. We don't have to pick a side and staunchly stand behind it. We can be both. We can be both the left and the right. We can be both the light and the dark. We can be both the serious and the fun, you know. So um, so thank you for bringing this to the conversation. Um, wow, that is cool. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. And so where can people connect with you if they want to get some more Phoebe in their lives? So I'm mainly on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and it's just Phoebe Coon, uh, or my Facebook is Phoebe Coon Official, and I've, cool. my website is phoebecoon.com, so it's all pretty Cool, aligned. and I'll have all of the links in the show notes too if you want to connect. Well, thank you again. Um, you know, at the beginning I said what I wanted the conversation to be, like I always set an intention, and for this one it was fun, unapologetic, truthful and inspiring. And I think we ticked all the boxes on that. So thank you for bringing your amazing energy and sharing your truth with us. Thanks so much, Carly. And that's a wrap. Go to carlynimo.com to find ways to connect to your creativity and live life on your frequency. Until next week, make some 